Welcome to the weekly Dharma Talk podcast from the Columbus Karma Teksum Choling Buddhist Meditation Center. This week's 12 noon Dharma Talk is entitled Four Noble Truths. 2,500 years ago, a prince in northern India left his palace to find a solution to his people's sufferings of aging, sickness, and death. After six years of arduous spiritual retreat, he was at the brink of death when he discovered a middle path of meditation and discipline that brought him a spiritual illumination that showed him the answers he had sought. In that moment, Prince Siddhartha became Shakyamuni Buddha, the awakened sage of the Shakya clan. Today, the Buddha's teachings are more needed than ever. In these times of fear and difficulty, the Buddha's middle path of spiritual cultivation can help free us from suffering and its causes and nurture our own inner wisdom and compassion. This talk on the Buddha's Four Noble Truths was the first talk given to the Columbus KTC Sangha by Lama Adam Berner, who completed his three-year retreat at Karmeling Retreat Center in upstate New York in early March. The audio was taken from the video of his live webcast on Facebook. Enjoy the podcast. Greetings. My name is Adam Berner. If we haven't met before, uh, Columbus is my home, but I've been in, uh, in New York at Carmi Ling Retreat Center in Delhi for the last four years. Um, I'm a Columbus KTC uh, member since 2009, and uh, I love it. I miss it. Um, I think of you guys all the time. And uh, you guys were the motivation, you know, for me to do the retreat, all beings, but particularly Columbus. And I always, you know, thought of, of the center and all the people. And if we have any connection, um, if we've met before, you can be certain that I thought of you during retreat. And you can be certain that I prayed for you by name um, multiple times. Um, I love Columbus. I miss it. I'm wearing my Columbus colors right now. Sea bus, right? <laughs> so... I'm honored to be here today. I'm so glad that uh, that uh, I've been uh, asked to do this, and it's such an honor. And I am a little nervous, as you, you may or may not be able to tell. This is my first time giving a teaching, so you are probably used to some very uh, seasoned, experienced teachers. Um, I am not that, so uh, I appreciate your your patience and, and understanding, and, and thank you for, for joining me on this journey um, as I... Uh, get my sea legs, uh, my, my Dharma teaching sea legs together. So um, thank you for being here. Thank you for joining uh, any of the KTC events um, this morning and Lama Kathy's talk afterwards. Um, I'm going to be talking about the Four Noble Truths, which is a topic that uh, is fundamental to all schools of uh, Buddhism. And uh, it's, it's a pretty big topic. Um, a lot of times it's covered in um, you know, four sessions over a weekend. So I'm going to be trying to sort of condense this down um, into a, a, you know, 40-minute talk, roughly. So um, I'll do my best. Um, if there's time for questions at the end, um, you can maybe keep a pad of paper and a pencil nearby. And um, if you think of any questions, write them down. I can't promise that uh, we'll have time for them. I'm guessing we probably won't, but... Um, but I want to make that uh, make that comment in the beginning because I won't be able to to pay too much attention to uh, to what's going on in the in the feed here. But um, but I'm all glad I'm glad you guys are here and um, thank you so much for listening. So um, so again, I've been at, at uh, Karmi Ling Retreat Center, engaged in the uh, traditional three year uh, three month uh, retreat in the Karmakagyu tradition. 
Um, it's an amazing time. It's, it's been amazing to be here. Um, I feel lucky to, to be here now, um, you know, in the midst of the quarantine, shelter at home orders. Um, it's, you know, obviously it, it's a blessing for me to be here and able to practice in, um, in relative seclusion still. Uh, it's definitely been a weird time to come out of retreat. Uh, you know, when it's, it's kind of like uh, when I came out of retreat, the whole world went into retreat. And um, that's, that's, that's a good thing. I, I hope that, um, that people are finding ways to make it productive. Um, I uh, heard from a, from a good friend the other day. He was talking about uh, how um, when we look back on this time, you know, years from now, it, you know, this time will, you know, change as all times change. This is, this is impermanent. So uh, we don't know what things will be like on the other side of this, but um, but as always, things are changing. So um, when we get, you know, sort of to the other end of this, it would be great if we can look back and say, you know, that was really a, you know, a scary time or a, a rough time. But you know, I learned to uh, play the guitar, or I learned to uh, cook uh, fantastic stir fry, you know, which I did. So. Um, or and in particular, like uh, I, I used the time for as much extra practice as I could, and I, and I really took the time to try to uh, look at my mind, and try to uh, to benefit others, and uh, think about even the small things we can do virtually to reach out to the ones we love and our friends, and uh, you know we can really make this time a, a time that, in retrospect, we we were very productive and a time that was uh, pivotal in, in our growth in a positive way. So I really hope that, that everyone can use this time at home um, to do that kind of a thing, you know? And um, one of the things that uh, I missed a lot in retreat, you know, it's a long, you know, it's a long time, <laughs> three and a half years. And uh, just like in regular life, people uh, have, uh, you know, you go through ups and downs and you have good times and you have bad times. And uh, it's, you know, that's this kind of the same thing, all the emotions that you're, you're likely to go through in regular life, you know, we, we did in, in retreat as well. And, uh, you know, there was something I really found myself missing about Columbus. I mean, I missed, I missed my sangha a lot, you know, and um, part of that, you know, I realized was there's just a real easy, uh, it's just much easier to uh, to have this feeling of sacredness, to to see, to walk into uh, our Dharma center or or any Dharma center or any um, place uh, of uh, you know of faith traditions, you know any holy place that we walk into, you know all the accoutrements are there, you know, and even if it's you know a temporary space like uh, at Tifereth, um, you know we still have all our, our sangha there, we still have tankas, we have. We have the warmth of, of seeing each other, seeing the sangha, and uh, it's it's a really nice thing, and it, it's sort of like training wheels, you know. Um, we can't really come to depend on on that ease of, of view that happens when we when we walk into a dharma center, um, as we can see right now. We 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 don't have that luxury right now to be with our community, but I think you probably know what I'm talking about about that feeling of just. You know, it's a little easier to be kind to people. It's a little easier to be patient um, when there's a whole group of people around you, you know, doing that. And uh, and you have all the, you know, images of, of the Buddhas and the Bodhisattvas. Um, 
it, it's a really nice thing and, and it and it's 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 a, a brief chunk too really if you think about it of your week is your time at the dharma center you know two hours an hour four or five hours if you're there all day um but then we go home you know and um and almost like when we think about time practicing on the cushion and and time off the cushion similarly you know when we leave the dharma center you know it it's you you know we can't turn off our dharma practice but but more importantly it, it is it is really the time to kick in when when we leave our dharma center and and similarly now when we are we can't be together in a real physical space this this is the time to really sort of cultivate that view that um you know traditionally we say uh seeing uh all form as in you know in, in our case maybe all beings as uh buddhas and bodhisattvas uh, hearing all sound as mantra and considering the nature of all thought as the wisdom of all buddhas and uh we it seems to come easier obviously like i'm saying in some of these situations but but we can do that now and and in fact you know without going into great detail that is the true state of things you know that that we're not trying to convince ourselves of something uh sort of uh fake you know like like really the the true state of things is that everyone you see around you are buddhas and bodhisattvas and and i mean that's the way it is so we can be confident you know that if we're not seeing that if we're having trouble remembering the sacredness of the world around us there are methods to clear away that delusion in order to uh to bring back that sacred view and uh we'll talk a little more about those but i think you're, you're well aware of many of them if you've been watching lama kathy's talks um you know, there's there's a uh, shamatha, calm abiding meditation, tonglen training in uh, loving kindness and compassion, um, and uh, prayer and and making aspirations. Um, these are three sort of primary ways that that we can start to 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 clear away our our, our delusions and and clear away um, the the chatter you know that may not be uh, productive for us. So. Um, but so that, that just by way of introduction, um, that, that sort of, uh, I, I want to make that point that, uh, you know, if it feels like something's missing, it might be that feeling of sacredness that you have um, with, your, with your Dharma community. And, and you can have that now. Um, it's just not going to be maybe the way you're used to it. And it, it, it may mean that you need to sit down on your cushion a little more than you would normally. It may need, mean more, you know, it doesn't have to be a long time. You know, you don't want to stretch and push the mind too hard. But, um, you know, maybe do more sessions in a day. You know, if you normally do 15 minutes in the morning, maybe do, you know, seven minutes in the morning and seven minutes at night. You know, what, whatever works, you know. But if there's time, you know, use the time now to... Uh, to rest your mind rather than to uh, to let it um, cling on to to the news and, and fears and hopes and and all the things that that really actually are just distractions from the nature of mind and, and from the sacredness that that we're a part of and that, that is around us all the time. So um, so I'll say that and then um, uh, so we should also begin. Um, we normally begin with the prayer of refuge. So we'll do that now. Um, the purpose of, of uh, taking refuge is, is to sort of redirect our compass to, uh, to seeking help from what can actually help us. We spend most of our days uh, distracting ourselves from, from our difficulties and, uh, 
and, and using entertainment and um, and any number of things to uh, to try to sort of uh, make us feel better, but none of them are lasting. And and there's there's really sort of one way that we can uh, we can really find a, a path to to liberation from suffering and and. And that is to take refuge in, in, a, in a true source of refuge. And, and the three sources of refuge we take, uh, we take refuge in are the Buddha as the teacher, the Dharma as uh, what he taught, and the Sangha as the community of practitioners around us uh, who can help us on the path. So uh, we will uh, take refuge and we'll also, in, in the course of doing that, we want to also set the intention that we... Uh, that we're going to we're doing this to uh, benefit beings. We're going to listen to the Dharma. We're going to think about it. We're going to meditate and and then act upon it, with the purpose of uh, freeing all beings from suffering. And particularly in this time, um, we want to make sure to think of anyone who's affected uh, by the coronavirus in any way, um, their family members and friends, um, all the uh, first responders, and uh, even just there's lots of essential workers. Uh, uh, in all fields who are still on the job every day and uh, working to make our lives uh, safer and more comfortable. And so we want to pray, uh, uh, pray for them and, and set our intention to benefit them. And we also want to uh, think of anyone who's experiencing uh, fear or, or loneliness in these times. So um, uh, we will now recite the, the four-line um, refuge prayer. Uh, I'm going to recite it three times in Tibetan. Uh, if you know it, chant along. If not, uh, you may just join in in your heart with the intention that you want to bring benefit to all sentient beings. Thank you. If you noticed, I am reading from a text. I am reading from a text, the, uh, the four lines that I've probably chanted more than any other lines I've ever chanted in, in all of, of my Buddhist practice. And the reason for that is because I, uh, I sort of did a little uh, test run uh, Dharma talk on my own uh, to sort of try to get used to this. Still nervous today, but, but I did do uh, one the other day. And I went to recite the four-line refuge prayer and just forgot. 
just forgot. I mean, something I chant multiple times every day, you know, I just was boop gone. So uh, I made sure to have the, the text with me this time. So uh, can't get too confident, you know. So uh, so uh, let's get into the the meat or the uh, the impossible burger of this of this talk. Um, so the Buddha, uh, we'll give a, a little brief background on on the life of the Buddha. Uh, it's very very distilled. Um, so uh, the Buddha was born a prince into a royal family, uh, uh, Prince Siddhartha. And uh, he, when he was born, was prophesied that he would be either a uh, a great ruler or a uh, uh, the greatest uh, spiritual uh, teacher. Um, so, hearing this prophecy, his his father, the king, um, was was very interested in obviously maintaining his line of, of succession, you know, in the in the in the kingdom. So uh, he wanted his son to 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 follow him, follow in his footsteps. So uh, he went about uh, setting up a, uh, a life for Prince Siddhartha that would uh, not, could contain nothing that would make him want to leave and nothing that would make him sort of question um, life's, uh, life, uh, the, the troubles of life, you know. So he would never be confronted with um, any suffering. Uh, he would never be confronted with uh, things like, like aging and, and uh, death and, uh, you know, even... You know, he had many gardens and, and all kinds of sense pleasures. But, you know, like even in the gardens, they were uh, you know, removing uh, leaves, uh, leaves that would wilt on, on plants. You know, anything that had any sort of, uh, you know, that would make him maybe think about death or, or change, uh, the, the, the king uh, made sure was, was not present in, in Prince Siddhartha's life. And so he lived this life of, uh, of great uh, luxury and comfort. And he had everything he could ever want. And uh, he lived, you know, to the extreme of this luxury. Uh, and, you know, th like we would never know the level of luxury at which he lived, even though we have quite a, a great deal of luxury ourselves compared to uh, most people throughout history. Um, that said, um, he uh, at one point he, he, he decided to take a, to, to get out of the, the castle walls and he had his attendant take him out on, on four trips and uh on those four trips, he saw um, four things that would, would change his, his, his course. Um, and uh, he saw, uh, the first time he saw an, an aging, uh, I'm sorry, a sick man. Um, the next time he saw a, a very old man. Um, the time after that, he saw a dead man. And, uh, and, and each of those times, he asked his attendant, you know, what is what is that? What's wrong with that person? You know, he, he, he had not seen these things before. And his attendant, you know, would tell him like, oh, that's, that's a sick man. You know, we will all someday be sick. Um, or that, that is a, that's a very old man. He's been alive for a long time. You know, when we when we lived that long, we all, you know, our bodies deteriorate and we will all look like that. Death, you know, like that, that person has died. That, that's how life ends. And we will all, you know, our, our lives will all end in death. And uh, these were new experiences for, for the prince. And um, he, you know, it, it, he was confronted for the first time with the uh, inevitability of, of suffering in, in this samsaric uh, world, this, this, this world in which we, we uh, experience things. So on his fourth trip, he saw an ascetic, a, a, a wandering uh, holy man, a uh, yogi. Um, very common in India at the time, I, I believe still common. Um, so, uh, and, and this, 
you know, he asked, you know, what is, what is this person? And, and he was, it was explained to him that, you know, this is a spiritual seeker. He's trying to find, you know, answers to life's problems. And so the Buddha saw there was a, a, a way, you know, to try to work with these problems. And so he did, um, he did make the choice to, uh, to leave the castle. And he, he did that in the middle of the night. Um, he just needed to, to go and uh, uh, immediately start this path. So he went off um, into the woods. Um, he joined a uh, group of ascetic practitioners, uh, particularly a group of five ascetics and him. Um, and he became very well uh, respected, uh, very well, uh, uh, he, he was a very good ascetic. You know, he was uh, an ascetic, you know, eats very little, um, exposes themselves to uh, really harsh conditions. Um, it's a, it's a practice of, of self mortification, and uh, and he was uh, was very good at it. You know, he was eating so little that at one point, um, it's said that you could see his spine through his uh, through his stomach. So uh, it was uh, he was it was a good ascetic, you know. And uh, what what happened is is he eventually realized he wasn't gaining the answers to the questions of, you know, how, how do we overcome suffering? Um, how do we make this life, you know, okay with all the, uh, with the suffering that is, seems to be inherent. Um, so one day, uh, a, a girl came and offered him a, a bowl of, uh, of, uh, a milk, uh, porridge, like milk and rice, I believe. And, uh, the Buddha knew it was, it was, uh, it was time to make a change, I think. And so he, he took the bowl of this bowl and he ate. And, um, and I think this is a really important point. Um, a really, I, I like this part of the story so much because on the one hand, you have, uh, the generosity of, of this, this girl who bringing him a bowl of food, um, and the, the connection made between the Buddha and this girl, um, in that, in that act of kindness. Um, but I think more importantly, I'm touched uh, by this part of the story because I think it shows, in my opinion, I think it shows a, a, a situation where you have a very successful person who's committed um, fully to a path uh, that they thought was the path they needed to take. Um, and, you know, the Buddha, of course, this, is, this was his situation. He, you know, he had been a, a prince in great luxury. Um, and he did that to the fullest, you know, and then, and then he became this ascetic and he, he lived that life to the fullest, but he realized, um, that it was, it was, it, he needed to make a change, you know, and I think that a lot of times we go through our lives doing things, um, we, we start to just by the energy of doing them, we just keep doing them and, and that sort of that habit energy is the only reason we continue to do them. And, and it, I think these moments where we realize like however much we've committed to something, if it's not working at some point, it, we have to make a change. And, and I, I really think there's some beauty in this moment where the Buddha takes the, the bull uh, from this girl, because it, it's, it's a, a great strength is shown, you know, in being able to make a change like that, like that's great courage and, uh, and great wisdom to know, you know, when it is time to, to make that turn. So, um, I think that's that's a really great part of the story. So, uh, so the Buddha uh, 
I'm not going to go in great detail um, about his uh, attainment of enlightenment, um, but he did shortly thereafter uh, sit down under the Bodhi tree. Um, we could spend another hour talking about that night, uh, but but he uh, he attained uh, what he was seeking that 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 night when he attained enlightenment. He found the answers, you know, that he'd been seeking, and initially he he didn't think there was any way he could share what he had uh, what he had learned, and he spent. Um, I think 49 days uh, just sort of wandering around the area where he had attained enlightenment and, and meditating. And, um, and it's it said that, uh, that the Brahma, the, uh, the king of the gods, uh, was sent to, to plead with him to teach what he had taught, to please share, you know, all beings can benefit from this. And so um, eventually he, he did. And, uh, he, uh, the, the first uh, human students he taught were the five ascetics uh, with whom he was uh, practicing. Uh, he, he, he saw them, and uh, as he approached, I th they, were, they were quite derisive and, and mean. He looked well-fed. Um, he looked probably healthy, much healthier than a, uh, an ascetic should. And uh, so they, they thought he had sort of gone off the rails and, and were, uh, were, were not very respectful towards him until... He got near, and uh, and they could see that something had something had changed. Uh, something was different. So they listened to what he had to say, and what he had to say was the the first presentation of the four noble truths, um, which uh, are, as I said, fundamental to every everything we do in, in Buddhism. I mean, this is the the greatest summary of the Buddhist uh, you know teaching and outlook um, is this uh, is the four noble truths. Uh, it was a very short teaching. It said it was 12 sentences long. Um, those 12 sentences were uh, three iterations of the four truths, uh, three slightly different uh, uh, repetitions of it. Um, and uh, today I'm going to talk more than 12 sentences. And the reason for that is that, that we uh, we are not as well positioned as uh, as the Buddha and his, his students were, their, their uh, karmic connections that they had, um, the, uh, the merit that they had built up over many lifetimes, um, they were in a position, they were ripe, if you will, to, uh, to, to get these, these teachings and, and, and understand them, you know. Um, we need a lot, more, a lot more time and work and, uh, and listening, contemplating, and meditation, right? So, uh, so, the way, so I'll give you uh, what, what the Buddha said, and we'll talk a little bit about it. Um, the, the first time he said, uh, the first truth is the truth of suffering. The second truth is the truth of the cause of suffering. The third truth is the truth of cessation. And the fourth truth is the truth of the path. So what he was saying is uh, our experience uh, is imbued with suffering. And pain, um, these things uh, are present in our life. You know, uh, we may not see them all the time, but in some form or another, they're always there. Um, and then they're there because of something. You know, there there is a cause for this suffering. And so, be, because there's a cause, knowing that the, that suffering has a cause, if we can remove that cause, then the suffering will go away as well. The suffering will cease cessation. Um, and how do we do that? Uh, there is a path that we can use to achieve the cessation of suffering. So that was the first, uh, 
a first set, uh, first four lines he, he delivered. The second time he gave a, a more in-depth uh, uh, instruction on what to do with this information. So he said, um, suffering is what is to be known. The cause of suffering is what is to be abandoned. The cessation of suffering is what is to be achieved. And the path is what is to be relied upon. And this one is, uh, is, is really important, um, particularly because of the fact that the, the very first one, you know, the, the suffering is what is to be known. Like, really, like, right? Like, that's not what we usually do with suffering. Like, we're doing everything we can to run away from suffering, distract ourselves from suffering. Like, that that's just... It's almost our, our primary uh, uh, goal in everything we do all day long uh, is, is to avoid suffering. But the Buddha said, no, suffering is to be known. And what is to be abandoned is its cause, you know. So, uh, so that's important to remember. We'll get more into more of all of that. Um, the, the third repetition, he said, he almost made it, uh, strengthened what he said in the second repetition. And he said, other than suffering, there's nothing to be known. Other than the cause of suffering, there's nothing to be abandoned. Other than cessation, there's nothing to be achieved. And other than the path, there's nothing to be relied upon. So uh, if there was any doubt about what he said in the second repetition, uh, he made it really clear in the third. And uh, so... To go into some more detail, um, suffering. Um, first of all, the Buddha was not saying that uh, there is no happiness, that we never experience happiness. He wasn't denying the fact that we do have experiences that, that make us feel happy. Um, and it's important to know that, um, that those experiences, you know, they, we have them, but often they're dependent um, either upon things that are out of our control, ex external factors, you know, um, well, and also they're always impermanent. They're always fleeting. So this happiness that we seek, you know, the kinds of happiness we seek and in the ways we seek this happiness, um, it, it's not built for, for permanence. You know, it's not built for, for true what we would call true happiness. Like we're not, we're, it's not a happiness that's going to be there. And if knowing that it's a happiness that can at any point go away, um, it has suffering built into it. You know, like anytime we're happy, you know, somewhere in our, our minds, we're thinking, you know, when is that going to end? You know, what's, um, you know, what can go wrong here? Um, frequently we're, we're, we organize things in our life to try to, uh, to get all the pieces in the right place. You know, it may be, it may be a Saturday afternoon and we're, we know we're going to have a great Saturday night at home. I know days of the week don't really matter right now, but let's play along. So, uh, and you're trying to get everything in order. You've got your favorite food. You've got, uh, you've, you know, you've set the thermostat just how you like it. You've got your favorite pajama pants. Um, you know, you got the next Netflix cues ready to roll. Um, but something goes wrong. You know, they, one little piece, you know, isn't there or you can't find this or, or someone calls with a problem or you find out you're, uh, you know, uh, you, you're late on your, your bills. There's, there's always, there's all these pieces 
And even if, when we think we get them all in place, there's always something. And that's really, you know, the, the, the thing that's referred to when we say suffering in English. The, the Sanskrit word is, is dukkha. And the meaning of that is, is much closer to, uh, to just dissatisfaction. Like, like something's not right. Um, something's off, you know, and it's this feeling and, and we always kind of hap, have it, you know, even in our most, uh, our, our most happy moments, you know, there's very few times, I think, where, where we really feel present. And, and we remember those times because they're, they're so rare that we, those moments where we, we're just really in the moment, you know, really totally fully present with no filter between us and our experience. Um, and those moments when that happens, those are real glimpses of, of, of the nature of mind. Those are real, true glimpses. Um, and uh, they shouldn't be clung to, um, but, but you, can under, you can feel, you know, joy that you've had those experiences. But most of the time, because of our uh, deluded uh, minds, because of uh, the, the chatter and the, the tempo of, of our thoughts, um, and because of our attachments, we uh, we can't experience that because we have this we have this dukkha. Um, so uh, looking at my notes real quick. So um, there's all kinds of, of suffering. Um, Buddhism breaks it down in many many ways. Um, I'm going to just briefly talk about the three uh, general descriptions of suffering, um, which are uh, uh, the suffering of suffering the suffering of change, and the suffering of the transitory composite, or all-pervasive suffering, is another name for that. All three of these are present in any uh, instance of suffering. Um, you can look at them. It's just different ways of looking at the same thing. So we have uh, the suffering of suffering um, is usually described as, as just, you know, basic uh, suffering. You know, uh, if, if, you, uh, if you have a headache, it's the pain of your headache. Um, it's also incidentally you're being upset about the pain of the headache because then that's a physical pain with with suffering on top of that. So um, so the suffering of suffering is is just the obvious sort of sufferings that we would normally call suffering. Um, then there is uh, the suffering of change, which is uh, to use the headache analogy. Uh, that is, uh, I didn't have a headache yesterday. Why do I have a headache today? You know, like I didn't want it. You know, I, I was great without a headache yesterday, but today I have one, and that's not a fun change, right? So, the suffering of suffering, the suffering of change, um, and the suffering of the transitory composite. I like that name um, better than some of the other uh, names for it because I feel, even though it sounds initially a little clunky, a little bit too scholarly, um, I like it because it reminds us of two important things, uh, which are that we are composite. Uh, we are made up of, of many different uh, materials. Many different causes and conditions have come together to make us uh, what, we, what we experience right now. So we are a composite. Um, and because it, we are a composite, uh, many things have come together that all we are also transitory. You know, because we're a composite, so those things will come apart. And even when before they all come apart, they're always changing. They're always, even if we don't notice it, they're changing. So it, the transitoriness uh, is an important thing to remember too. Even while a composite is a composite, it is never 
one stable independent thing like it's always in some way changing ever so subtly even so uh, I like that name the suffering of the transitory composite because it reminds us what we are and it reminds us what everything around us is and the suffering of the transitory composite is simply that we are uh, conditioned to experience suffering that's we have because of our human body we can get sick and we will all die like these are these are just part of of, of you know being human and being a, a, a sentient being you know like these are uh, this is what we experience and so that is the suffering of the transitory composite it, it's also called all pervasive suffering because it's it's there and it's in everything we experience like that's just part of, of our experience so uh, so that's the, the three broad uh, descriptions of uh, suffering. Um, I think a sort of embryonic thought, I, I haven't really been able to nail down a good way to uh, describe this, but I will present it to you so you can think about it uh, and maybe, maybe it will mean something to you, is uh, the idea that this, the, uh, the suffering of change is really one of our best ways to, uh, to sort of get at um, the root of suffering, like watching when things change and our, our reactions to them, um, watching to make sure that we aren't adding extra suffering to, to the suffering, you know, creating suffering on top of suffering um, and, and being able to just sort of watch in those moments of change when, when we start to feel agitated or uh, upset, um, you know, to, those are good times to watch your mind. Um, so, Need to think more about that one. Maybe in a future talk, um, we'll get back to that. <clears throat> so, the truth of the the, the cause of suffering. Uh, the cause is is described in in in, uh, in many ways as well, uh, but at its its root, it's it is uh, attachment. So that's attachment, um, grasping, clinging, um, fixation, um, and from that all of our clashes, our afflictive emotions uh, arise. So attachment, um, because we're attached to things, we become angry. Because we're attached to things, we feel defeated or sad or feel the need to defend ourselves or we feel the need to collect things uh, that so that we have more things than others have. Um, attachment um, is, is, uh, is so prevalent in our experience uh, and so prevalent in what we do. Um, as I said earlier, like we spend most of our lives trying to fend off suffering and, and that's because we're attached to some sort of idea of what we want um, things to be that we think will, will bring us happiness. Like we, we're so attached to that and uh, there's so many um, manifestations of that attachment. So uh, the cause of, of suffering being attachment, um, it's important to note that uh, that that relinquishing attachment is the, the, the goal of all Buddhist practice. So it's really important um, when, we, when, we, uh, when we are doing our practice and, and going through our day as, as, uh, as Dharma practitioners to make sure that, that we're not uh, sort of uh, derailing our practice or, or uh, polluting it with attachment because we will try. <laughs> we will we will all it will creep in for all of us you know and that's one of the reasons why uh, uh, you know confession is is a part of Buddhist practice you know one of the reasons we, we confess uh, you know 
is because frequently that we're our attachment, you know, and our our uh, our unenlightened uh, uh, thoughts, you know, things that arise from attachment and aversion and things like that, will start to uh, mess with our practice. So it's really important to uh, to watch and make sure that you're not using your practice to uh, to reinforce your attachments. Um, that said, it is it is great to have a one pointed uh, focus on attaining liberation from suffering, on attaining Buddhahood. That's that's a great thing. So uh, there are you know, but but that is for the benefit of others. And that it's it's funny because it, it, it's a, it's it's almost like it's an attachment to having no attachment. Um, you can go overboard on that, but the idea is is you have you have this desire for attainment of of, uh, of enlightenment. That is okay, you know. But again, um, like the Buddha found. Um, be, when he discovered that uh, the ascetic path was not for him, and like the Buddha found when um, he discovered that that life in the in the in the luxury and uh, and uh, protection of the castle was not a, was not enough, you know neither of these extreme um, paths worked. You know neither either of these extremes was a good thing. Um, so you know what the Buddha found was was this middle way. Is middle, uh, it's the middle path, the middle way um, between what he described as uh, eternalism and nihilism. So everything matters and nothing matters. Um, things last forever. Nothing even exists. You know, these these two sort of views. Um, you know, there needs to be a middle way, and that was uh, that's that's one of the things that the Buddha's uh, teaching is is called the middle way. So uh, similarly, when, when we uh, with attachment, um, it, it's important because these emotions that are created from our attachments, uh, like I said, uh, often anger, jealousy, greed, um, even ignorance, um, all these things, if we act upon them, that's when we create karma. And karma is the seeds of our future rebirth. Um, and so, it's important to to make sure that uh, that we watch uh, watch our attachments, you know, and 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 try to let things go as much as we can. Um, we should move on, and then we'll get back to that a little bit. So, the truth of cessation um, cessation of suffering is what is achieved when uh, when the cause of suffering is removed. Um, there's not there's usually not a lot to say about cessation itself because uh what it is 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 uh is this sort of opposite uh the the clashes that we think of uh that arise uh from attachment anger jealousy all those things um they have an enlightened aspect too and so when we remove the cause of suffering those clashes can be transformed and they naturally are into their uh enlightened uh aspect so for instance um in the absence of anger um, great compassion can arise. Um, and similarly, through practicing, through cultivating our compassion, we uh, will naturally reduce our anger because those two things cannot uh, coexist. They, don't, they can't exist at the same time. So uh, likewise, um, jealousy, you know, um, jealousy and, and loving kindness, the wish for others to be happy cannot exist simultaneously. So uh, if we, uh, you know, in, when 
at the cessation of suffering, when we remove the cause of suffering, jealousy becomes, you know, this, this brilliant loving kindness. And, and like I said, similarly, practicing loving kindness will, will naturally reduce your jealousy. So that's some of the reasons why we do, you know, loving kindness practice. Um, and so we also see here that uh, the first two truths are uh, a uh, description of, of uh, samsara, its result and its cause, suffering and the cause of suffering. And the second two truths are a uh, description of nirvana. We have uh, cessation of suffering in the path, so the result and the cause of nirvana. And uh, it's important to remember that uh, this uh, the nirvana is is not the cessation of experience. It's the cessation of suffering. Like we, you know, Buddhas and Bodhisattvas can still have these, uh, you know, experiences. It's just they're free of these uh, afflictive uh, emotions. They're free of, of the, the the negative emotions. Um, so, so the path. Uh, the, the, what path can we follow to achieve the cessation of suffering? Uh, usually it's described as the Eightfold Noble Path, um, which is uh, right, uh, right view, right uh, action, and, and six more that uh, <laughs> I would have to look up to, to probably make sure I have them all. But uh, the easiest thing to know is that uh, they're summed up in uh, three lines, uh, well, four lines, uh, that are, I think are, are really the most valuable thing. Um, so if there's if there's anything that you you just you memorize, I think about Buddhism. I, I like these three lines because uh, I've always thought that uh, things that are true should be able to be explained simply and then expanded upon, you know, almost endlessly. And and I feel like Dharma is like that. Like it, we can talk about all kinds of of stuff, and there's there's all kinds of methods, and the philosophy is extremely well thought out, and uh, it can get confusing, but there's a place to come back to, and, and, and that, that place is these, these four lines. And uh, I'm sure you've heard Lama Kathy say them before, um, and they are, do no harm, practice only virtue, tame your mind, this is the teaching of the Buddha. And that fourth line tells us that anything that accords with the first three accords with the teaching of the Buddha. And anything that does not accord with those first three lines is, does not accord with the teaching of the Buddha. So uh, once again, we have do no harm, practice only virtue, tame your mind. That is the teaching of the Buddha. And I also like to point out that it does say, uh, he does say tame your mind. Like we may hear stories about Buddhas and Bodhisattvas taming so many beings, you know, but but we're not there. And, and what we need to work on is taming our mind. Um, we can benefit those around us by, by taming our own mind. So that's where our focus should be, because uh, if you think about it, you, you probably spend at least some time every day trying to adjust or tame someone else to your liking, you know, and that is, is, is a form of, of attachment, you know, that is a form of trying to tweak the external world for your own benefit. And you know, that's not going to last and it's probably not going to work and you're probably going to tick someone off. So, uh, you know, always look at, at your own mind in, in, uh, and always try to tame your own mind. Uh, so the path is also a good uh, name for it because it indicates that we have to walk it. Um, it's us 
that have to do this. Uh, the Buddha cannot do this for us. So I love the idea that it's a path because someone can show you a path, but you're not just going to instantly end up at the other end. Like you have to walk the path. You have to do the effort. You have to put the work forth yourself. Um, so to talk just briefly about right view, the, the first one, I, I wanted to bring this up particularly uh, today um, in, in the world we're, we're in right now, because um, it's important to think about uh, where we need to make the change, uh, where we can be most effective. Um, and, and where that is, is, is like I was kind of just saying, it, it's, it's within our own selves. Like normally we, uh, we have this sort of external field of, of experience and we're, we're constantly trying to, to tweak that and move that to try to make our internal uh, world our, our, of thoughts and emotions and, and, uh, and whatnot, uh, to try to, to, to make our, our, uh, our minds happy, we try to, to change the world. But there's a great uh, example that, uh, I'm not sure if it's a, a initially from here, but I know it's in Shantideva's Way of the Bodhisattva about a man who was trying to walk around and he keeps getting his feet hurt by, you know, uh, sharp rocks and, and thorny bushes and whatnot. And he's, he's unhappy about it. And he, he comes up with this brilliant idea to cover the whole planet in leather. And it sounds crazy, right? But that's what we do all the time. That's our method of, of trying to fix things is we try to, if the, we think something in the world isn't right, we try to change the world. But the better idea for the guy whose feet hurt is maybe instead of trying to find enough leather to cover the whole world, the whole world, like maybe find just enough leather to, to cover your feet. You know, if you can just get leather on your feet, some shoes, then the whole world becomes much smoother to walk upon, right? So uh, it's the same idea with our practice. Like we, even though we cannot necessarily change the external uh, world right now we can still change our minds. And in fact, um, we have more motivation now to do it. That's one thing I think that is really uh, important right now, particularly to remember, is when we can see suffering, when we can see it and we, we know it, part of what's happening right now is we can't avoid the suffering. We know from what we've talked about today that we should understand suffering. We should no suffering. We, we need to become familiar with it because when we become familiar with it, we start to learn why we need to uh, get rid of its causes. We learn why it's there. You know, we learn more about its cause and, uh, and we become familiar with when it arises. We become better able to spot it, become better able to know when uh, something is actually that seems like it's going to make us happy is actually a cause of suffering. Or when something that seems like it's going to make us suffer is actually something that could make us much happier. We, come, we become more discerning when we, we start to know suffering. So um, the idea is uh, we need to, to, to make these changes from within. When we change, uh, when we change our minds through meditation, um, through loving kindness and compassion practice, um, through prayer and aspiration, these things, these practices we do, they affect us in ways that, uh, that we may not even expect. And, and they, they, their effects will sneak up on us. Um, we don't have to necessarily try to stop our, ourselves from getting angry every time we get angry. Um, 
ideally we do, you know, obviously try to control, you know, not uh, act out. But what I'm saying is that things will arise occasionally, but they'll arise less frequently when we're doing these practices. Like that's, if you've practiced for a while, you've, I'm sure you've seen this, that things in your life start to change that you maybe weren't even directly working on, you know, doing shamatha practice, you know, is, is, is one in particular that you, you start to see the world transform around you because of your time on the cushion. And, and that's all day long. You can see the effects um, and more and more gradually over time. So we have a long way to go to be able to, to really uh, abandon attachment. But the good thing is we can see these improvements, little improvements along the path. And when we see those little improvements, it, it, it's good to, to rejoice in them and to wish that everyone can have those experiences, that everyone can, can see um, progress and improvement in their life, and then to move on, you know, because we can become attached to those experiences as, as much as, uh, as anything else, and that's not good either. You know, so when we, when we work on changing our minds through meditation, um, through shamatha, through lojong, through prayer and aspiration, when we see these effects in our lives, it's so important to dedicate the merit and then keep practicing. Just keep going, you know, don't get stuck anywhere, you know. Um, so letting go of attachment, to, uh, another way that, that you can work on that. So just to be clear, the path, the Eightfold Noble Path, and then everything you're doing you know, in your Buddhist practice, you know, is that path. So uh, it, it's, that's, that's the path to the end of suffering. Um, but one little idea I wanted to share, because this is something I, I found uh, in retreat that was very helpful to me, is, uh, you know, part of what we're attached to is the idea that we are, are a static uh, being. We're independent. Um, we're kind of always the same. We, like, I don't know about you, but I mean, I have a sort of an age and a look that, that that's just me, like in my head, I'm always that, you know, and uh, we kind of forget that, that we are always changing, you know, and, and we aren't who we were yesterday and tomorrow we won't be who we were today. But a good way to, to, to remind ourselves of that and to remind ourselves particularly of our ability to grow and change um, is to just make little changes every day. Like just pick something really small, whether it's like if you eat a certain food for breakfast, eat a different food for breakfast. If you drive a certain way to work, drive a different way to work. Um, maybe there's somebody that you're not, you've never been really overly friendly to at your job. You know, maybe one day you just decide you're going to, you're going to go and, and tell them that their, uh, their shirt looks nice, you know, or, or you really enjoyed their talk the other day at the, you know, in the meeting, you know, whatever, you know. So there's a lot of just tiny little changes. And I found it's a really effective practice to, uh, to just pick a little change that you want to make in your life and, and do it. And each time you do that, it sort of loosens your attachment. You, you start to realize like, wow, I have, I'm, I, I have so much room to move and change. And, and, you know, just the first times you, the first couple times you do it, you start to realize how much you, you get, you're stuck. Like we're all kind of stuck in these ruts and uh, we want to have this openness, you know, this openness as sort of the opposite of, of attachment. Right. So, um, that's one way that I've found is a, is a really good way to, uh, to start to loosen the attachment script and, and really to remind ourselves that, uh, that we can change, you know, and that we are, uh, open and spacious 
and, and all these things that, uh, you know, are, are our true nature, you know, so we have to remind ourselves of those things. Um, and of course, as I said, uh, doing your, your meditation practices is, is number one, you know, whatever practices you're doing, um, I should make the point uh, that, that that is is so important. What we've talked about today and things that you may read, those things are, are, are have value for sure. But sitting on your cushion and, and, and you know, watching your mind is, is really the way all of this stuff starts to blossom. Just like we said earlier, how your meditation will affect the world in ways you may not realize. Um, if you're not meditating, the things we're reading about, you know, they, they're not going to come as easy as you think, and they may not come at all. So it's, it's really important to meditate. Uh, so we're almost out of time. Lama Kathy will be giving her regular Dharma talk right after this. Um, so I want to uh, make sure that to, uh, again, thank everyone. I want to particularly, I almost forgot, I want to thank everyone who supported me during the retreat with uh, letters, um, financially, um, good wishes, prayers. I thank you from the bottom of my heart. It is, does not even need to be said that my retreat would have been impossible without your help. I mean, utterly impossible. So, so thank you all so much. And I have little gifts to give everyone when we see each other again. So uh, I look forward to that. Um, I hope it's sooner, uh, sooner than later. And um, so uh, let's uh, dedicate the merit of our uh, time together today to the benefit of all sentient beings. Again, let's, uh, let's pray that... Uh, all the first responders, anyone suffering uh, from it for any reason, may be free from suffering and have all the causes of happiness and happiness itself. And may we, through our uh, listening, contemplating, and meditation of the Dharma, attain uh, perfect Buddhahood for the benefit of all sentient beings. Okay. I think I got us in uh, with just a couple minutes to spare. So uh, I apologize. I'm not going to have any time uh, for questions, obviously, but uh, I uh, really appreciate you giving me the opportunity to talk today. And uh, I uh, apologize if, if I made any mistakes. Um, I do my best to, uh, to convey what my teachers, uh, particularly uh, His Holiness Karmapa and, and Kempo Karta Rinpoche, um, have shared with me. Um, but if I've made any mistakes or caused any confusion, uh, I apologize, and that is my own fault. Um, but I will do my best, and thank you for being with us today, and thank you for your practice. Thank you for your aspirations. Um, thank you for loving each other, um, and and please uh, try to make some little changes in your life, like test out your changeability, you know? Um, and, and get outside and get some sun if you can. I mean, that's been a really important thing for me. So um, it's surprising how much just an hour uh, outside in the sun, what a difference that can make. So if you can do that safely, um, I highly recommend it. So um, thank you all very much. Um, I look forward to seeing you all again soon. Um, again, oh, I just thank you. Thank you so much. So uh, take care. Happy Easter. See you soon. Thank you for joining us for this week's Dharma Talk. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. If you did, please subscribe, rate, and review it on iTunes. 
To learn more about the Columbus Karma Teksum Choling or to donate to support our Dharma Talk series, please visit our website at columbusktc.org. The opening and closing music for the podcast is Tibetan Flute Song by Tamding Arts at tamdingarts.com. Please join us again next week for another Dharma Talk.